Welcome to Cherry Beckard's Professional Service Podcast. My name is Bryn McNeil, and I'm an audit partner with a focus on serving architectural and engineering firms. Along with me today, I have Mandy Grivanovics, who is the senior manager in our audit practice and who has worked for a number of years as well serving architectural and engineering firms. So today we're really going to be focusing on talking through an indirect overhead rate audit really understanding what this audit is, what drives this type of audit, what's key to getting through these types of audits, and maybe best practices for setting yourself up for success if you have to go through one of these audits. So let's jump right in. So Mandy, do you wanna just give an overview on what an indirect rate overhead audit is and really what does drive this requirement so that a firm knows, do I need to do this or do I not need to do this? Absolutely. First, I think it's helpful to go over what an overhead rate actually is. This is going to be the ratio of the sum of all of the firm's allowable indirect costs to their direct labor costs. And all of this is going to be under the guidance of the Federal Acquisition Regulation. The overhead rate is a really great way for companies to recoup as much money as possible from the government um, for any of the costs that they're incurring that are necessary to run their business, but may not necessarily go directly to a specific contract or project. We sometimes refer to this as an indirect rate, an overhead rate, so you hear those terms used interchangeably. Um, and then when it comes to the audit, this is a process by which auditors are going through and determining that all of the costs that are included in the calculation of that rate are allowable per the federal acquisition regulations. It typically involves a lot of expense testing, control walkthroughs, uh, analyses and things of that nature. But at the end of that process, we typically issue a report that indicates what the overhead rate is for the company for that year. And we also include an auditor's opinion over that rate. When companies want to propose on com completing work for state DOTs, those DOTs are typically looking to see these audited overhead rates. Um, Brynn, one of the questions that we frequently get from A&E firms is, do all firms need to be getting an overhead rate audit when they're doing work with those state DOTs? Yeah, that's a great question, Mandy, and one that I frequently talk to a lot of companies about. Um, and in short, if you are a newer or smaller firm that's really just starting to get into the world of doing work with a state DOT, Typically, those firms and companies don't really have a relevant, con a relevant contract cost history that they can use as a base to really develop that indirect cost rate. So for those types of companies, we encourage that they maybe look at using a safe harbor rate um, for their overhead rate as opposed to going through what can be a complex and difficult audit to get through, especially when you're just starting out. Um, and so we really encourage looking at doing a safe harbor rate until you really do have that establishment of that cost and that history. And you can demonstrate, you know, you are doing more work in this field. You have more and more contracts that you're going after. But if it's a smaller kind of percentage of the work for the company, it may not be the benefit to doing this may not be there relative to the cost that you may incur for going through it. Once you have that kind of contract cost and the establishment and the history and you're doing more and more work, then absolutely the state DOTs are going to be looking for that audited rate. So once a company has reached the size and level of activity that an audit is definitely recommended, what are some of the critical components that those companies should be thinking of that are going to be a part of that audit process? 
Yeah, so if I take a step back and kind of look at the audit, I would say there's kind of two different areas that jump out as being critical components to getting through these audits. And one really is looking at the timekeeping and labor charging controls and systems that a company has. Direct labor is such a key component to calculating the indirect rate that it's really critical that that number and the amounts and the labor charging that you are hitting at the company is correct. And the other piece that you mentioned is really looking at your overhead expenses and making sure that within the rate, you're only including the allowable expenses. So I would say cost allowability is equally as important to get through one of these. So thinking that and knowing those are two kind of key areas, um, what would you say and are kind of key to timekeeping and labor charging and that companies need to be aware of or thinking of as they may be starting to put in that system or those controls? Absolutely. So I think you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned that direct labor is such a huge driver of the calculation of the of the overhead rate. So getting that right is a really key component of developing your rate. Um, it's really it's really important that companies have sufficient controls in place to monitor and accurately record their labor costs. And one of the biggest things that we want to be able to see is the distinction between indirect labor and direct labor is maintained. You know, direct labor obviously being all time worked by employees for the specific benefit of a contract or a project for a customer. And then indirect labor being all of that time worked by employees that's more generally for the good of the business, but not necessarily for the purpose of a specific contract or project. We really want to be able to see that there are controls in place that allow um, employees to appropriately record their time between direct and indirect labor. So we see that segregation. Another really key component of this timekeeping piece is going to be timesheets and making sure that, you know, every time an employee submits their timesheet, that those hours are reviewed and approved by a supervisor who knows that this time is accurate and complete. Um, we also want to be able to determine that employee pay rates that are used to calculate their compensation are appropriately approved by an individual in the company uh, to make sure that they're accurate and correct. It's also worth mentioning that there are some additional considerations when it comes to overtime hours and the costs associated with those and how they're recorded by the company. Uh, there's definitely some nuance there and complexity, and we won't go into all of those details today in this podcast, but it's another thing that you're going to want to keep on your radar when you're thinking about timekeeping and labor charging policies. Yeah, those are all great points and definitely key to consider kind of doing the same thing similarly with the cost allowability and these expenses for the overhead rate that companies are incurring, what do they need to be thinking about there when it comes to the costs that they're incurring and recording and allowability there too? Absolutely. So step number one is going to be actually reading through FAR Part 31 because that is going to contain all of your rules and regulations related to allowable costs. Um, generally speaking, at a high level, allowable costs are going to be those that are reasonable, allocable and don't fall into one of the categories of FAR that are expressly unallowable. And when we say that, we mean that that's a cost that the FAR would never ever consider for allowability. It's always going to be disallowed 100%. There's a couple of different kinds of costs that fall into that category of expressly unallowable. I won't mention them all. There's, there's quite a list, but a couple that I wanted to highlight were 
um, alcohol consumed at reimbursed meals by employees, any costs that are related to bad debt, uh, contributions to charitable organizations, entertainment. If you have entertainment at a holiday party for your employees, that's going to fall into this category. And then anything to do with lobbying. These are all going to be expressly unallowed. And then on the flip side of that, while there's lots of categories that have strict rules about their allow unallowability, there are going to be several types of costs for which the FAR is a bit less strict or more gray. There's going to be some nuance. There's going to be room for interpretation. And I think that's what makes these kinds of jobs or these audits more challenging and more interesting because we're trying to apply the standards and understand how to interpret them and, and come up with the end result. As auditors, when we're looking over a company's expenses, we typically find uh, higher levels of unallowable costs in a few different areas. These would be our higher risk areas. I'm just going to touch on a couple again. Uh, the first being travel. When employees are traveling for the purpose of the company, you know, they're incurring hotel charges, they're incurring meals, plane tickets, things of that nature. And the FAR has some pretty specific rules about what is allowable and not allowable. And we typically are turning to the GSA per diem rates to determine, you know, portions of hotel stays that are allowable, portions of meals that are allowable, things of that nature. Um, we also see unallowable costs when it comes to employees attending seminars and conventions, different events. You know, there's there's networking, which isn't necessarily allowed by the FAR, but then there's also educational seminars that can further technical knowledge. Um, so there's definitely some gray area there as well. And then also when it comes to companies hiring and using professional services consultants, um, there are some documentation requirements that have to be met to keep those costs in as allowable. So this is definitely another area where we're subjecting costs to higher scrutiny and probably seeing more unallowable costs as a result. Another area that I wanted to touch on briefly is that of executive compensation. This is another big chunk of any audit that you're going to go through for an overhead rate. Um, there are some specific rules, again, about what uh, compensation is allowable and not allowable um, for areas such as bonus plans, incentive compensation, deferred compensation, things of that nature. Um, but there's also going to be a reasonableness component to this as well. Are you paying your executives compensation that is comparable to other firms of your size, similar number of employees, similar revenue numbers, similar type of work, things of that nature? Compensation that's over and above what your peer firms are doing might be considered unreasonable and could be considered for disallowance. So that's something else that you're going to want to look out for. There's lots of tools out there that can help companies determine if their compensation is reasonable or not for their executives. AASHTO is the organization that uh, produces the standards by which we complete these audits, and they have a really great tool out there called the National Compensation Matrix. And then I know several firms will use compensation surveys, so companies that have gone out and gathered data from architecture and engineering firms to determine median salaries, ranges, compensation, things of that nature. So definitely something else to consider when you're looking at executive compensation. And now that we've kind of talked about some of the key pieces of the audit, how long and complex it can potentially be, <laughs> Bryn, can you share any best practices for preparing and or successfully getting through one of these overhead rate audits? Yeah, that's a really good question, Mandy. So I think 
you know, one key piece that companies need to be thinking through is really the accounting system and the timekeeping system that they're using, making sure that they've got an accounting system that really can do job cost accounting so that employees are charging both their time and their expenses and segregating that between a direct cost and indirect cost on whatever job or jobs they may be working on. Um, so I think the accounting system is certainly something that needs to be looked at and will only help companies um, better prepare for being able to get through through an audit. The other key piece is really um, not necessarily everybody's favorite, but um, you'll always hear about having an audit trail. And really that supporting documentation is absolutely critical for auditors to be able to come in and to see that you do have controls in place. So maintaining those timesheets and being able to see the approval of the time is, is critical to really that labor piece. And then for any of the overhead expenses, we would need to have supporting invoices in detail to be able to see that the expense is appropriate. And then um, if there's a component that is not allowable. So with your travel example, being able to see, you know, the invoice from the hotel so that we can look up the locality that the employee stayed in and is there is there a differential that needs to be disallowed and has the company done that. So maintaining that schedule where they've gone through and said this portion of it, the expense is disallowed, um, that's another key piece. Um, kind of the last thing I would say is just, again, it gets back to documentation, but what's your process? What's your policy? Anything as it relates to recording costs, to approving costs, to paying payroll, having those processes and procedures detailed out in a narrative format is very important. Um, I know that's not always fun to do and can be tedious, but, you know, companies can sometimes get outsourced um, help to write those and to develop those, but those do become really critical when it, when we're coming in and doing the audit. And if you have a good system and you have good documentation, I will say these audits can go very smooth and we've been doing a lot of them for a number of years and they go very well. So Mandy, thank you for joining me today. As I mentioned, um, this podcast is in the professional services series and I know we will be doing more of these going forward. So we'll hope you'll tune into those. Um, this will also be posted on cbh.com. As always, if you have questions or you have needs, please feel free to reach out to either Mandy or myself. We're always here to help answer questions. Even if you're not a client of the firm, we're always here to help. So thanks for joining in and we'll look forward to doing this again.